Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning. It is the 14th of July, 2023. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Do you know the plans that God has for you? Here's the good news. God knows the plans he has for you. So let me encourage you today. Uh, don't, don't take one step in any direction until you spend some time having a conversation with God about the plans he has for you. Um, God conceived of you and in his wildest imagination before the foundations of the earth. And God's the one who created you and gave you the breath of life. And God has in his heart a desire for you. He knows the plans he has for you, declares the Lord. Those words come from Jeremiah 29, 11. It's part of today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day. If you're not signed up, For the Growing Your Faith verse of the day, um, you can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. While you're there, I encourage you to uh, join us in reading the Bible together. We're going to embark on a study of 2 Timothy here in just a couple of weeks. It's a two-week study, and you can get your free study guide right now at MyFaithRadio.com. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me. And you will come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. So I don't know if you've ever gotten uh, or given a card to someone that had these words on it. These are This is actually some of the most often quoted uh, portion of scripture in terms of that which is reprinted on cards and calendars and devotionals. It's a, it's a wonderful truth. It's also a truth that's offered in a context. So the prophet Jeremiah is speaking here. It's important to know um, who that is and the people to whom he was speaking. It, it, we need to understand the context of a passage of scripture to help us avoid our very human tendency to read into the Bible some desired meaning that isn't actually God's intended meaning. And so when we go to the scriptures, we want to understand what God has said in order that we might understand what God is saying through what God has already said. So what's the context of Jeremiah 29, um, 11 and 12? Well, Jeremiah was speaking these words to the Jewish people. They had been living under the domination of, um, uh, of the Egyptians and then the Babylonian empires. Eventually, they were carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon So Jeremiah is speaking um, these words to a people who know they belong to God, but they are not living in the promised land and they are not experiencing the goodness um, that God promised to them generations ago. You can only imagine what it would have been like to live under the domination of your enemies, um, forced by those enemies to leave your homeland, settle in a foreign country, be separated from members of your family. Be separated from the things that um, you thought you would be doing, the place you thought you would be living. Uh, 
and so the context matters. The literary context, um, you know, you know, you want to look not just at the verse, you want to look at the chapter, you want to look at the larger context of that chapter in the book. So if you look back to the previous t- chapter uh, in Jeremiah 28, you see these, uh, the pronouncement of this judgment of, uh, upon a false prophet named uh, Hananiah. Hananiah had told the people that God would break the yoke of Babylon, that God would free them, that God would allow them to return home. And, and, and Hananiah told them, it's going to happen, you know, in short order. It's going to happen within the next couple of years. And there's no question that those kinds of promises sound appealing to people. But if it's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. And it actually resulted in, in God snuffing out the life of Hananiah. You can read Jeremiah 28 to get that whole story. So Jeremiah tells the people, um, yeah, it's not going to happen in short order. God's going to deliver us. God's got a plan. God's got a plan for you, but it's not going to happen in short order. Um, 70 years is what Jeremiah told them was on the clock, uh, was on the divine clock in terms of how long they were going to live under the yoke of Babylon. So he says, you know, you got to settle down. You got to build houses. You got to marry. You got to have generations of people. You got to pray for the peace and prosperity of the city where you find yourselves. All of that is in Jeremiah 29 as well. If you go back and read verses 4 to 10. Um, So when we understand the context, we discover these words in Jeremiah 29, 11. They're being spoken to a people in the midst of hardship and suffering and uh, and they're being spoken to a people who know that that hardship and that suffering is going to continue for the next 70 years. Yes, God has plans for you. God has a future filled with hope and God knows those plans. And God is going to prosper you and he's not going to harm you. But it, but that turnaround's not coming, you know, tonight, tomorrow, the next day. Jeremiah says that 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 promise is going to be fulfilled in God's good time and it's going to be 70 years from now. <laughs> So do we take comfort from Jeremiah 29, 11, knowing that God has a plan for us? Yes, absolutely. Um, but we also don't know the timeline on that. And I think that's important to acknowledge. So whatever your current circumstance, whatever the situation you find yourself in, um, God's present, God's promises are real. God's good. He's gracious. Uh, he's on the throne. He's not given up the job. He's going to prosper you and give you a future that is filled with hope. But it might be a generation from now or two. We just don't know. So we can take comfort in knowing that God promises to be present, that God is active, that God is good, um, that his plans are always perfect, as is his timing. And that's the part of the passage that maybe um, we we don't focus on as much and maybe should today. So yeah, God knows the plans he has for us. They are plans to, uh, to prosper us and to give us a future filled with hope. But the last part of this, uh, of this passage today, I think is where I want to spend, spend a little time encouraging you to settle in. Then, then God says, (laughs) when you call on me, when you come to me, when you pray to me, I'll listen to you. Man, that's good news in every circumstance. We can call on the name of the Lord and we can call on the name of the Lord in the name of Jesus. That's a name that Jeremiah didn't know. 
What difference does the name of Jesus make as you consider the plans that God has for you and the revelation of God's plan for All right, a uh, brief little history reminder here. I, you probably weren't even alive on May the 9th, 1960, but if you were alive, you probably were not, I don't know, reading FDA approvals. So this is, you know, this is where Carmen is reading the news widely for you, so you don't have to. Just think about that act of service for just a moment. All right, on May the 9th, 1960, the FDA approved the sale and use of what we now call the pill. And Christians, particularly evangelicals at the time, uh, didn't give a whole lot of ethical consideration to this particular development. Uh, I think that evangelicals at the time um, thought that the development of the pill, oral contraception, that would prevent pregnancy was just a part of, you know, just the ongoing technological, scientific, medical revolution that marked the history of the 20th century. Um, I don't think there was a lot of conversation at the time among evangelicals about the pill, at least not in terms of how it was going to provoke a sexual revolution um, and how it was going to decouple sex from uh, procreation and then decouple sex from responsible uh, relationships in marriage. And so I point to that because I think the pill really changed things in ways that at the time we didn't anticipate. And the pill has since changed human relationships um, in ways that we don't fully understand. So the era of the pill um, has just grown more complicated. Because in the same uh, way that May the 9th, 1960 was a day that the FDA made an announcement that changed things in ways we might not have anticipated at the time, the FDA made an announcement yesterday that is going to make the pill available um, in a whole new way to a whole new marketplace. So yesterday, the Food and Drug Administration approved the first over-the-counter birth control pill. It's called O-Pill. Um, and uh, it is a progesterone-only daily oral contraceptive pill. It's going to provide what they describe as an option um, for consumers, anyone, by the way, of any age, to purchase oral contraceptive medicine without a prescription at drugstores, convenience stores, grocery stores, and, you know, obviously online. So what does that mean? Well, that means that consumers, all ages, all stages of life, for whatever reason they could imagine, um, are going to be able to buy oral contraceptions, uh, contraceptives without seeing a healthcare provider, and there's no age requirement nor proof of age required to purchase O-Pill. So um, uh, it's expected to be uh, available in this way by January or February, uh, according to the producer in Dublin. Um, and so here's, um, here's what the, uh, the, the drug manufacturer says. When used as directed, daily oral contraception is safe. When used as directed, daily oral contraception is more effective than currently available non-prescription contraception methods in preventing unintended pregnancy. Note the beginning of the sentence. When used as directed daily. When used as directed daily. That's a huge part of the uh, instructions on the packaging for O-Pill. Um, and so let me just 
say that for something that has to be taken every single day um, at roughly the same time in order to be effective and in order to continue to be effective, um, you know, we should ask ourselves, is is offering that over the counter to anyone um, or not even just over the counter, but over the internet, does this seem responsible? Does this seem responsible? Well, let's go on to read a few of the other directions on the packaging. You cannot take this if you're already pregnant or you think you may be pregnant. You also cannot take this if you're using some other form of birth control when they make a whole list. Um, And this must not be used as what they describe as, quote, emergency contraceptive. It's not a morning after pill. It will not prevent pregnancy if it is used after unprotected sex. Okay, and you say to yourself, why is Carmen talking about this um, with us? Because the pill in 1960 changed everything. Um, It it enabled uh, men and women to decouple sex from marriage. It it enabled women to... um, quote unquote, control when and when they would not conceive and bear children. And if we imagine that we um, are the people, well, that we the people should be deciding such a thing, that we as people should be deciding such a thing, um, then we have changed in, in a really significant way um, the power of God to bring forth human life. And I am very confident that most Christians have not thought about how much control we now assert over life um, by the use of contraceptions, not just oral contraceptives, but others as well. So it's a worthy conversation for us to have. It's a worthy consideration for us to engage in. And in the same way that uh, an FDA announcement on May the 9th, 1960 changed things in ways we couldn't anticipate, I'm pretty confident that yesterday's announcement by the FDA um, for the approval of OPIL uh, is going to change ways, uh, change things in ways we cannot anticipate today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at myfaithradio.com. Hey, good morning again. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks so much for getting up and having coffee with me. I'm actually awaiting delivery of my coffee this morning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So hop to it, guys, as you're uh, out there fetching coffee for me. I am, uh, I'm at Lipscomb University engaged in something called the Leadership Games with Lion Share. And so I'm a bit like a camp counselor this week. So that means I've been up much later uh, than normal and doing all kinds of, uh, uh, of day-long things that um, have been very edifying, but also exhausting. So if I sound, if my voice sounds a little bit tired, it's because I am. So there you go. Um, I learned yesterday that a friend of mine uh, he's been battling cancer now for four years. Um, and he was in remission and I just learned, um, that, uh, it's back 
and it's aggressive and fierce. And um, another friend then sent me an article, I mean, unrelated to the first conversation about my friend whose who's cancer is back, but um, sent me this article about the Wilt family and just asked, will you just, they're friends of friends, right? And so like, will you pray for them? And so I said, absolutely. So in anticipation of praying for them, I read the story of Hannah Wilt. And I just want to share it with you briefly and encourage you to um, to maybe dig into it a little deeper yourself. Hannah Wilt is now with the Lord. Oh, that's the spoiler alert here. Um, and her story just reminds me how fragile and precious life is um, and that life is short. So Hannah Wilt um, was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of, of cancer. It's a very rare form of cancer. Um, it is related to asbestos exposure and because she was such a young person, like, you know, it's not like she spent years in some uh, asbestos mine, um, which tends to be the people who end up with the form of cancer that, um, that she had. And so where might she have gotten it? Well, uh, the culprit seems to be, uh, baby powder. Um, and so, this is also a conversation and a story about Johnson and Johnson and baby powder and cancer. Um, and there are thousands of people engaged in, um, in a lawsuit in relationship to this. And because Johnson and Johnson is as big as they are and as, uh, maybe, um, legally creative as they are, um, they've been able to have this lawsuit, outlast these people maybe would be one way of saying that. And so um, I just want to, I just want us to lift up people across the country um, like the Wilt family who, you know, are suffering with a member of their family who has some rare form of cancer in this case, at, at abdominal mesothelioma um, and, um, and lift them up and the doctors who are tending to these families and then the legal system and the complicated nature of it in our country as well. So uh, Hannah is a, a Christian. She's a sister in Christ. She's now with the Lord. Um, her testimony at a chapel service at Covenant College in 2019 is posted online. Um, and following her death, one of her sisters compiled her poetry and has recently published it in a book. And so you, you might be hearing more of her story in other sort of Christian outlets. And so I thought I would brief you in on it today. Um, one of the things that, that Hannah said in the chapel service at Covenant uh, a handful of years back now is, you know, you read through scripture and all of a sudden you're confronted with all this pain and all this suffering and all these questions. And the answer that we're met with is a God that saves us. How? By dying for us. I don't think we can begin to comprehend God's love, Hannah says, and grace until we allow ourselves to confront the difficult questions of pain and suffering. If we constantly keep pulling our bedsheets over our head and cut ourselves off from the opportunity to experience God showing up in the ways that he promises to, we miss the life he died to give us. So Hannah Wilt was... Um, one of what are now thousands of people who, you know, allege that their bodies were um, contaminated uh, by a substance that by all accounts seemed to be perfectly safe to use. And so the, 
you may be reading developments in the Johnson and Johnson case um, in terms of their desire to have the courts approve um, a settlement for all of the lawsuits. Um, you'll also uh, know that J and J has appealed this to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, and you'll also, you may read of a creative legal strategy, a, a legal maneuver that J and J tried to um, conceive of in order to get out of it altogether. Well, in the meantime, people like Hannah Wilt and Hannah Wilt's precious family, um, you know, have dealt with the reality of death. Hannah, Hannah died in February of 2022. She was 27 years old. And, um, so I just want to read you a couple of uh, things that um, that she says in in the pages of the book, um, I Would Live For You. So it is a book of her poetry, um, and it is published uh, following her death. Um, but I think it's worth considering. So anyway, here's one, one piece. It's called Untitled. To return to the earth from which you came, how beautiful to think that my last gift to the world will simply be myself. Her sister, uh, Kate, who published, um, who published this book of poetry on her sister's behalf, says, you know, there's just not a lot of resources out there for those of us who are young um, and who have suffering that doesn't go away. But God is still good, and he's with you. No one really wants to hear that, almost especially when they're a believer, because we feel we expect to be healed. Um, so I, I share this with you today, just as a reminder that life is short and eternity is long. People are suffering. Um, and we can hold out our hand and our prayers and uphold them. And so I want you to know that, um, I'm doing that for you today. I would ask that you do that for me and for those about whom I'm concerned. Um, God is good and God is gracious Life is short. Eternity is long. Let's make it count. Let's take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All righty. What in the world's going on in the world and where in the word are you as you prepare to get out there into the world that God so loves and to do so in ways that honor Jesus Um, If you're not in the Word yet today, let me encourage you to get into the Word of God. We want the Word of God in us so that when the world squeezes us, and it certainly will, what comes out is grace and truth and the gospel itself. So let me encourage you to be in the Word of God today. Again, you can join us reading the Bible together. We're going to embark on a study of 2 Timothy here in a couple of weeks. You can sign up for that at MyFaithRadio.com. So the Associated Press said uh, yesterday that it had reached a two-year deal with um, an AI company, an artificial intelligent company. It's called OpenAI. And what the Associated Press has agreed to do is give OpenAI access to all of its news archives. To uh, In return, OpenAI is going to supply the Associated Press with some technology and product expertise. So what's going on here? Well, if you have used chat GPT, um, if you have used other open AI um, sources, then you know, like they only know what they know and they don't know what they don't know and they need to be taught. And so we talked about this in relationship to Bible translation. Like the reason that um, 
Meta, uh, Meta's program knows so much in terms of language learning, in terms of languages around the world, why it knows thousands of languages is because it read the Bible in thousands of languages because we're the only people who've translated anything into thousands of languages. Like, so um, it only knows what it knows. And so how do you teach it more? Well, you have to gain access to, in this case, like the archives of the Associated Press. So for those of you who have, you know, tested out things like chat GPT and you're like, it, this is a bunch of stuff it doesn't know and it just makes stuff up. We know that and we ought to be paying attention to that. Um, if it doesn't know something, it, it, it does become creative and it just makes stuff up. Um, but it also doesn't know anything uh, in the time period that has lapsed since it was taught what it thinks it knows. And so um, I was having a conversation um, about uh, things going on in terms of religious liberty cases and let me just tell you, ChatGPT, it doesn't know anything about any religious liberty cases in the last handful of years. Well, that matters because those cases are the ones you want to rely on in your conversations about the status of things today. So there you go. Uh, it'll be interesting to follow the Associated Press's deal over time and um, see exactly uh, what what kinds of developments emerge out of this. Um, but the, I think the Associated Press is hoping that this is going to put them in a position to be a leader in developing standards for newsrooms that are going to use generative AI. And you say to yourself, well, what does that mean? And, and well, <laughs> that means that there are going to be ways that the news is aggregated and written not by people, like journalists. Uh, should probably be concerned a little bit um, about this. The The entire news industry is trying to figure out how to best leverage artificial intelligence to improve output because, you know, it, it it's much faster for a machine to go and read everything that people are posting on social media in real time, you know, sort of those eye reporters that are out there on the street with their phones um, and aggregate that into some kind of piece of quote-unquote news that you and I might read from a particular um, news outlet. The question is, did a human being actually put that together or did a machine and does it matter? So those are going to be some of the questions that we're going to be looking at going forward. Uh, Chris Martin's going to join us next. He is, you know, our expert on all things social media. He's going to read us in on the development of threads. Are you on threads yet? I know those of you are saying we have too many social media um, applications and you're like, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not getting on threads. But a lot of people who have been on Twitter are now on threads. So you at least need to know what it is. So Chris is going to help us knit it together. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. Joining us now, our friend Chris Martin. You can find him at his Terms of Service blog. You can also find him at Moody Publishing if you... You know, if you look really hard behind the scenes. Hey, Chris. Hey, how's it going? Um, it's good. Okay, so threads. Lots of people listening right now, they haven't been on Twitter, so they don't know that there's been a migration of people from Twitter to threads. They may or may not be on Instagram, and so they don't necessarily know that threads is being, you know, promoted to everybody there. What is threads, and why should we care? Yeah, Threads is a new app developed by Meta, who I often call them Facebook, Instagram, but it's you know the company that owns Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, um, as well as plenty of other little organizations and you know 
the metaverse they're trying to work into and all of that. Um, Threads is a the best way to describe it, and it's not totally accurate, but it'll give people an idea. It's like if Facebook made Twitter. It's the best way to describe it. Um, they had been working on a Twitter competitor for a while, especially as I understand from reading and kind of putting my ear to the ground, um, especially started ramping up efforts to compete with Twitter once Elon Musk took over because it was pretty clear pretty early that things on Twitter were going to get tumultuous quickly, and they did. Um, and so Facebook, Instagram, that Meta, uh, spun up this Twitter competitor. And the gist is that it wasn't really ready to launch. Um, now, it was ready enough, which is why they launched it, but they weren't planning to launch threads for a number of months, perhaps by the end of 2023. No one really knows. I don't know that they've publicly commented on when they were planning to, but they have said that they weren't planning to do it so quickly. However, the first week of July, end of, Ju- end of June, beginning of July, Elon Musk made a few decisions regarding Twitter that just kind of ran the platform into the ground in some ways. Um, didn't It didn't break Twitter to the point that nobody could use it or anything like that, but he was limiting, severely limiting the number of tweets anyone could consume in a given day. And by that, it just means the number of tweets you can scroll by. You don't even have to click on them. Um, limiting that to 600 per day if you aren't paying for uh, his paid platform, Twitter Blue, which might sound like a lot, but most people on Twitter are following hundreds of people. And so if you just scroll Twitter for 30 minutes, you might go through a hundred tweets without even really reading any of them. Um, and so anyway, he, he made that decision. He made TweetDeck one of the popular desktop apps that people use to read Twitter. Um, he made that uh, unavailable or will be making it unavailable in the very near future, unless again, you pay for it. And so there are just a number of things that happened with Twitter in the first week of July that kind of put it, if you imagine it like a boxing match, definitely put it on its heels. And so Twitter came in or Facebook came in with a knockout punch, if you will, or an attempt at a knockout punch, a haymaker, and released their Threads app far earlier than expected. And so Threads is um, you use your, it's really a subsidiary of Instagram. So you use your Instagram account. Like if you have an Instagram account, your same Instagram handle would be used on Threads. And the idea is to have a Twitter-like platform that keeps bots and spammers away, um, keeps pornography off because Instagram doesn't allow explicit pornography, whereas Twitter does. And so keep it relatively clean in that regard and generally just be a sort of more positive version, a more positive Twitter-like experience. Um, the people at Meta have said that they're not trying to kill Twitter. They think that Twitter and threads have different purposes. Um, like they've said at threads, like propping up news is not going to be their play. They don't really care so much about that. Um, whereas that's been obviously a huge play of Twitter over the years. And so they are different. They're not, it's just not, it's not like, Oh, Facebook just made a Twitter clone to try to kill Twitter. Not quite. Um, but it is similar and, and there is definitely an appeal, uh, for people who have been using Twitter for a long time to use threads. But the gist is, Um, anyone who's using Instagram, you could just sign up for threads and really that's downloading the app and, and you get your same handle. And it's just a way to communicate with people in a Twitter like way with a, within a more Facebook like platform. And a lot of people are saying it's, it's one of the best moves Mark Zuckerberg and the people at Meta have made in a long time. And I think there's some merit to that. They had a hundred million people sign up within a weekend. Uh, that's the fastest growing app of all time. 
that that surpasses actually ChatGPT, which had 100 million people over the course of two months. Facebook, Instagram had 100 million people sign up for threads within a matter of four or five days. So it's it's growing incredibly fast. What remains to be seen is will it maintain this momentum as it's in this sort of early launch beta state and doesn't have a ton of features? The question is, will people get impatient as they release more features over the coming months or will they stick with it and and kind of give them grace? So that's what remains to be seen. But I think it shows real promise. All right. So uh, 110 million users as of July the 14th. Uh, it launched on July the 5th. So that's, pre- that's pretty aggressive growth. <laughs> Just say it that way. I don't know about you. I don't have 110 million people doing anything. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of people, and it's uh, people are engaging um, on threads in 31 different languages. I'll make this observation, and maybe you can tell me how to better understand and engage on threads. Um, the en- the entire uh, list of threads that shows up when I, you know, when I click on it are not people I'm following. They're like random accounts. Yeah. There's a so, reason for that. And, and this yeah. is where, I, let me explain that because I think, you know, like, look, I'm no apologist for Meta and Mark Zuckerberg. Anyone who's listened to me on your show for the last few years or has read anything I've written knows that I think Meta is a genuinely bad company. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not trying to rush to the defense of these guys or Mark Zuckerberg or anything like that. However, um, they, they have said kind of repeatedly that uh, this is very much in a sort of beta form. They are... They have created an algorithmic, a recommended timeline, if you will, a timeline full of some people you follow and plenty of people you don't, but are accounts they think you might be interested in or are just very popular in general. A, Mm. because they're they're when they launched, there weren't a ton of people on the app, right? So they were like, we have to fill your timeline with something, but none of Mm. your friends are here. So we need to give you something in the timeline. So let's just give you accounts that have a lot of followers. So that's one, that's like one reason for that. And over time, as more people you follow and you know, get on the app, because even though there's 110 million people, you probably don't have a thousand people you know who are on the app necessarily. And so over time, more of the people you follow will filter into that feed. And at the same time, it sounds like the number one priority of features they're working on launching is a timeline option of only the people you follow, which is obviously that's a core social media uh, feature. And so they need to add that and they know they need to add that. And they've said it's kind of their top priority. But again, this just goes back to what I said before. They definitely launched this in a early access beta state. And what they're going to have to do is manage expectations and do like, you know, explain kind of what I just explained to you that, Hey, that's coming. Don't, don't quit us. Uh, but test out the app, see what you like, see what you don't like, let us know your feedback and we'll get you more core social media features in the next few months. But you're going to have to be patient because this thing, we pulled this thing out of the oven half baked and, and we need to finish baking it. Um, and so if they can communicate that well, I think they'll keep people like you and me on, but if they take far longer than we want for them to get those features, they may have a little bit of a problem maintaining those 100 million users. So uh, I'm always aware, Chris, when you when you talk about, okay, well, they're populating your feed with things that they think you're going to be interested in. Clearly, they know that I was in Vermont because I have a ton of things that are like Vermont related, but you know, I just visited Vermont. It's not like I live there. So I don't really need quite so much Vermont information. So if you could let Mark Zuckerberg and the guys at Threads know, I don't need quite as much info on Vermont as they're pumping into my uh, thread feed. That'd be good. 
you know. Sure, yeah, I'll just give him. I'll give yeah. him a call this afternoon. No worries. Give him a little. Give him a little call and let him know. Yeah. Um. All right. Hey, we're gonna um, continue our conversation with Chris Martin here in just a moment. Um. I'm gonna ask him one question, and that is, what does it mean to just do the work? Chris recently published on a social media platform. Hey, just do the work. So I, I'm gonna ask him in a world where being an influencer, where people don't actually seem to do anything. What does it mean to just do the work? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Chris Martin is here. If you're not already uh, following his Terms of Service blog, I encourage you to do so. You can also obviously follow him on social media where uh, he recently said, just do the work. All right. So, Chris, here's my question. I feel like we live in a day and a time when uh, there's a lot of people, they're just quote unquote influencers. They're not actually doing anything. And um, so what it, what does it mean? What does it mean to do the work in the culture today? Yeah, you know, I have to be careful what I tweet because I always, I never know if you're just going to, you know, like interview me about random things I tweet. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, everything's fair game. No worries. Um, so the best way to describe what I mean here, and I'm not going to throw any one person under the bus because it, it frankly, it's very common. So I'd, it doesn't require me to throw any one person under the bus. I do a good bit of consulting about um, how to do social media well as a Christian and you know, as an influencer, a lot of folks I've worked with over the years are authors or churches or things like that. Um, and the most common issue I run into when I'm consulting with authors or churches or other organizations on how to do social media well or how to do blogging well, how to do podcasting well, basically, I help people know how to create content online efficiently and effectively and faithfully. And so, when I'm consulting people in that, um, you know, I'll have six months of meetings with folks about big picture, like, hey, what are your goals? What are you trying to do? How can you accomplish those goals? All right, here's a here's a theoretical posting schedule of of how often you should post to Instagram, and let's talk about the different kinds of content you should post to Instagram, or the different kinds of blogs you should write. Here are some guest ideas for your podcast. Here are some best practices for publishing content on YouTube. You know, big, you know, big picture strategy kinds of things. And we will have six or seven meetings or or the like about such topics. And then, you know, a while into my consulting or my coaching with these folks, it just kind of becomes time where it's like I say to them, hey, I've told you virtually everything I can tell you. Um, now you have to go write a dozen blog posts. You got to go interview eight people or you have to, you know, make 12 Instagram stories. You got to go do the work. And I can't, honestly, it's kind of funny. It's funny. It's frustrating, but I, I understand it. The number of clients I've just sort of lost at that six or seven month mark where I've been coaching them, I've been helping them. 
I've been giving them all my advice. And then it's time for them to actually implement a strategy we've established. And they just don't. And they wanted all the ideas. They wanted to talk about all the best ways to reach an audience and build a platform on the internet or whatever. But then when it came time to be a writer or be a podcaster and do the hard work of editing a podcast at 11 o'clock at night or editing a blog post at six o'clock in the morning, they just kind of gave up. They kind of flamed out. And what, what I realize is a lot of folks are far more interested in the idea of doing this sort of thing. You know, this, I think this applies in a lot of different spheres and, and occupations or whatever, but I think a lot of people are more in love with the idea of reaching an audience on the internet or via a radio show or whatever else than they are with the actual work that goes in to reaching an audience and writing for people or being creative online or whatever that manifests like. So um, that's kind of where the heart of that tweet was. It wasn't from a particular interaction, but it's, it's just a sort of, I think a lot of people are in love with the idea of certain things, but aren't willing to just put their nose to the grindstone and do what it takes to get the work done. Yeah, I think that is applicable across so many subject matter areas. Um, I, I think that's that obviously applies to, let's say, fitness, right? Uh, yeah. You know, you got you got to do the work. Um, finances. I think it, finances. It applies. Uh, yeah, getting getting yourself out of a debt hole, man. You got to do the work. I mean, there's all there'd be lots of examples here. Um, it's, it's, it, it's not enough to get into, let's say a school and pay for the courses. You actually have to go do the yep. work. Like there, there are all kinds of examples here where just do the work, um, might be a really good, might be a really good way for us as believers to engage with people. I mean, we are saved by grace through faith, but there are good works for us to be doing. Like there is good work out there. Um, and sometimes Christians just need to do the work. Like there's this, you got to win the right to be heard in a subject matter area. You can't just be the person who shows up in the moment and assume that you have instant credibility with a group of people that um, that you want to be influencing. They need to be able to see that you've done the work. There needs to be some there there when they go to look. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I didn't, you know, nobody started listening to what I had to say about social media best practice or things like that until I was, you know, helping run LifeWay social media for a few years. And then it was like, oh, this guy, you know, he's he has his hands in the mud every day. He kind of knows what he's talking about. And that's when I started to get a little bit of a hearing on, you know, how to do this stuff well. And so, yeah, you have to have, you know, think of like King David. You have to have these pasture periods where you're, where you're leading the sheep and nobody knows who you are and you're totally irrelevant and you're just doing good work uh, in order to have the time kind of in the spotlight, if you will, where people actually – you know, care about what you have to say or, or whatever. You can't just assume that you're going to, like you said, you can't just assume you're going to have an audience or, or people who necessarily care about what you have to say until you can demonstrate that you're actually worth listening to. So, uh, yeah, I just had a conversation yesterday that, that just, I'm like, yeah, that guy, you know, 25 years, he, he was engaged, uh, you know, in his local community, um, in a ministry in a nonprofit. And, you know, now, we're listening to what he's saying in relationship to other things. But I know that the, the groundwork under that is 25 years of very quiet, quiet, totally. invisible service, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, there's um, there's some people on the text line that um, think you will appreciate this. So uh, Bob uh, Castro just returned from Latvia, um, and he said, I had a layover on Monday in Poland, and I'm still getting uh, – I'm still getting – 
temperature um, announcements on my phone, like updates, weather updates for Poland. <laughs> nice. Right? This is how, I mean, right? This is how it works, right? Um, your phone actually knows everywhere you've been. And so there's AI out there that's like, oh, Bob needs to know what the weather in Poland is like. So, Bob, maybe just use that as a, uh, a, a prayer prompt for the people of Poland. Anne says, my, uh, my calendar on my phone is now listed with all kinds of quote-unquote holidays that I'm not very happy about, and I can't remove them. Yeah, I have that issue too. Oh, uh, Jim in Simsbury, Connecticut says, please affirm Chris Martin. He keeps getting better and better. There you go. Let's just leave that as our sign off. Yeah, that's so nice. All right. Um, hey, Chris, as always, thanks for thanks for being with us. And, um, you know, don't don't feel like I'm stalking you on social media. Like, right. I mean, I, I, <laughs> no, like I, I said, hey, everything's posting. fair game. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Thanks. Be careful. Thanks for reading. Be, ca- be careful what you post, man. All right. That's uh, that's that's Chris Martin. Um, if you uh, if you haven't read The Wolf in Their Pockets, um, that's his latest book. And I highly recommend it. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. We'll be right back. Okay, yes, all, uh, all, all my Bible smacks are out there this morning. Um, yes, thank you. I do know that we're saved by grace, and I know that, uh, uh, that grace is all-sufficient. I also know that um, God created us to do good works, and so I'm not talking about earning your salvation. I'm talking about walking your faith out into the world that God so loves and to do so in ways that honor Jesus. So, um, so thank you so much. Also, uh, those of you who are like, I don't care that 110 million people are doing something. That's not what I'm doing. <laughs> well, the next hour, I'm going to tell you what another 100 million people are doing. And it's in relationship to Netflix. We're going to have another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Adam Holtz is going to join us. And yes, we are going to talk about the sound of freedom. That's in the next hour. Stay tuned. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.